2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes some wonderful words. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, there are certain experiences in everyone's life that teach us vital truths. You never forget them. They become landmark lessons in your life. Well, one such experience happened to me many years ago now. The Calvary Chapel Christmas party was on the horizon, and Kathy was thrilled that I had promised her a new outfit for the occasion. We loaded the kids up in the van, and we headed to the department store to purchase new threads for mom. Kathy began the evening with a promise. She ended that evening with the fulfillment of a promise, but in the meantime, strange, bizarre events occurred. At the time, my son Nick was about two years old, and he was being in the process of getting potty trained. Well, while mom was combing through the clothes, I whiffed an atrocious smell. There was no mistaking the aroma. Nick had pooped in his britches. Mom was engrossed in major decisions now. You don't interrupt that. And so it was up to me to take him out to the van to wipe him up. As we walked down the aisle of the department store toward the exit, I noticed my son sort of walking in a peculiar manner. It's strange to see a two-year-old walking like John Wayne. Suddenly, two clumps of you-know-what slid down his pants legs and plopped right out on the floor. I groaned. My first reaction was to clean it up, but I didn't have a towel. I didn't have a rag. There was nothing I could do, so I did what any good dad would do. We just kept walking. We were hustling out the front door of the department store as fast as we could when all of a sudden Nick stops right in the middle of the traffic and he announces, Dad, I think I got something in my boot. Trust me. I didn't stop to find out what that something might be. In fact, I picked my son up. I raced to the car. After the cleanup, we reentered the department store with paper towels in hand to shovel up the mess. I was glad to see that no one had accidentally stepped in the poop. Well, by this time, my wonderful wife had purchased her new outfit. She was ready to leave. A promise had been made and a promise had been fulfilled. But in the meantime, I had to deal with some distressing circumstances. And my experience that day has become a microcosm of my whole life. For when you stop to think about it, all of life is lived out in the meantime. It's lived between the giving of a promise and the fulfilling of that promise. The here and now, the earthly life that we all live is the in the meantime. It's the in-between time. This life is the interval between a promise given 
and a promise fulfilled. Jesus has excited his church, his bride, with staggering promises. And yet many of those promises are still future. One day we'll walk streets of gold. One day we'll get second helpings of things for which we're famished for now. Romans 8 verse 17 tells us that we're joint heirs with Jesus. In Christ, all God's wealth and wonders are in our name, but we're waiting to take possession. When that Calvary Chapel Christmas party finally arrived and I saw my wife decked out in her new outfit, I thought, wow, now that's one good looking babe. My wife looked so glorious, I totally forgot the mess that I'd had to deal with. And I believe this is the reaction that we're all going to have when we finally reach that heavenly shore that the future glory that awaits us will more than overshadow today's difficulties. You see, God makes us a promise. And he will certainly keep that promise. Yet in the meantime, God has ordained for us to walk through some poopy experiences. Our world is full of messy stuff like sin and pain, and sickness, and hurt, and hate, and exhaustion, and pride, and betrayal, and despair, and injustice, and do I have to go on? I mean, life in the meantime is messy business. At times, it can just plain stink. But rest assured, God has a purpose for the messes that we are forced to endure. Here's a startling statistic. Did you know that a child goes through 5,000 diapers by the time he's two years old? Did you know that? Having raised four kids, did you know that means that Kathy and I, Kathy mostly, has changed 20,000 smelly diapers? Can you imagine? Here's my point. To grow a kid into a proper adult, you have to confront and clean up a lot of poop. Maturing a child is messy, and the same is true with the child of God. You see, we enjoy the good times when God's blessings are tangible, but we learn more from the difficulties and trials and persecutions and messes, don't we? Here's a quotation to remember. You really should write this down. It's an original Sandy Adams quotation. In fact, someone years ago turned it into a plaque that I now have hanging in my office It reads, it takes the manure for us to mature. And indeed it does. One day, all of our heartaches will be worth it. We'll have no complaints in heaven. But in the meantime, how do we handle these disappointments and these messy experiences? Do we take heart or do we lose heart? Well, if anyone knew about messy experiences, it was Paul. If his ship wasn't sinking, he was being beaten and thrown in jail or run out of town or stoned and left for dead. Paul was accustomed to one bad hair day after another. But in verse 16 of this chapter, Paul tells us, do not lose heart. And then he gives us three reasons why. Paul points to three different contrasts. First, he points to the contrast between the outer man and the inward man. Second, between the world's afflictions and heaven's glories. And then third, the contrast between the visible and the invisible. He points to these contrasts. 
between what's happening with the outer man and what's happening with the inward man, between the world's afflictions and heaven's glories, between the visible and the invisible. In fact, if you'll focus on these three contrasts, you'll take heart and not lose heart. Notice first, the first reason Paul doesn't lose heart is the contrast he sees between what's happening to him physically and what's happening to him spiritually. Outwardly, we are destined to decay. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. I understand Paul's physical body was perishing. As I mentioned, Paul endured trials, severe trials. He was stoned once. He was beaten ten times. He was shipwrecked four times. He was imprisoned often. Bible scholars believe that Paul had a chronic painful eye disease. He called it his thorn in the flesh. Perhaps most, the most debilitating condition in Paul's life was the stress that he felt for the churches that he had planted. Pastor Paul's parish was the entire world. And to top it all off, Paul was aging. And that, enough is, that alone is enough to, to get us down at times, to cause a person to lose heart. Paul's physical body was slowly deteriorating. Which reminds me of a list, a top ten list. Brought it with me this morning. Here they are. The new top ten ways to know when you're getting older. Got some new ones. You ready? Number ten, the twinkle in your eye is the sun's reflection off your bifocals. You know you're getting older. Number nine, you get cautioned to slow down by your doctor and not the police. Number eight, it takes two tries to get up from the couch. Oh boy, that hit close to home. Number seven, you have a party and the neighbors don't even realize it. Number six, you happen to spot a pretty girl walking down the street and your pacemaker sets off your next door neighbor's garage door opener. Number five, your joints are more accurate at predicting weather than Glenn Burns. Number four, you go to straighten the wrinkles in your socks when you remember that you aren't wearing any socks. Number three, all your favorite music is in the bargain bin at Walmart. Isn't that the truth? Number two, you help a little old lady cross the street and realize she's your wife. And the number one way you know you're getting older... (laughs) Your ears are hairier than your head. (laughs) To commemorate her 69th birthday, singer Julie Andrews, she performed before an audience at the American Association for Retired People. And she sang a special rendition of the song that she made famous in The Sound of Music, My Favorite Things. You remember that song? My Favorite Things. And yet she changed the words that day for her audience. Again, it was the American Association of Retired People. She sang, Maylocks and nose drops and needles for knitting. Walkers and handrails and new dental fittings. Pacemakers, golf courts, and porches with swings. These are a few of my favorite things. Back pains, confused brains, and thicker eyeglasses. Thin bones and fractures and false false teeth and glasses. We won't mention our shortened, shrunken frames when we remember our favorite things. 
Then she sings, when the joints ache, when the hips break, when the knees go bad. I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so sad. And yet the truth is there are, these are not our favorite things, are they? That's the truth. Today's society worships youth. Nobody admires an old body. We praise the young, the sleek, the beautiful. We have difficulty coping with our obvious mortality. You know, most folks just don't want to believe that they're not what they used to be. Some people live in denial. Other folks are searching for the fountain of youth. They buy protein supplements or they sign up for the health club or they jot down that number during the commercial for the health club for men. You know, you can't, you get discouraged when you realize that the outer man is perishing. And yet despite the fact that persecution and growing older was eroding Paul's physical health and his youthful vigor. He refused to lose heart. For Paul knew a truth. He knew that as the outward man deteriorated, the inward man was being invigorated. Day by day, Paul's spiritual strength was being renewed. You see, Paul didn't get discouraged over his aging body or over his chronic illness. He wasn't frightened of his own mortality For he understood that the physical body was not the real Paul. That his body was just a tent. A temporary dwelling. The real person is the inward man. It's the person of the heart. You see an iceberg moves along through gale force winds and tidal waves. And we wonder how. Well the answer is that 90% of the iceberg is underwater. I am like an iceberg. Look at me and you only see 10% of what I truly am. The real substance is under the surface. You see, you can't size me up by taking my measurements. There's more to me than meets the eye. I might be fading physically, but I am alive and growing spiritually. You see, the Christian isn't grieved over his graying hair or bummed out over his aching back, or devastated by his disease, or crushed by his cancer. For there is more to life than bones, and muscles, and kidneys, and livers. Even though our outer man becomes weaker and weaker, we can take heart if we are cultivating the inner man. We can grow stronger and stronger. Once there was a little boy, he asked his gramps, he says, Are you rotten on the inside? The grandpa looked at him and said, son, why in the world would you say such a thing? Of course not. The kid replied, well, when an apple wrinkles on the outside, it means it's rotten on the inside. You know, that might be true of apples, but not of Christians. One of the modern world's best inventions, in my opinion, are rechargeable batteries. Don't you like them? When batteries fade, you just plug them back into the charger and they're good for another hundred or so hours. Standard batteries, you use them and you lose them. Well, these bodies, they're like standard batteries. We use them and then one day we'll discard them. But God made the spirit of man to be rechargeable. Daily, we can plug into God's word and prayer and fellowship and worship. Spend time with the Holy Spirit and He will infuse you, recharge you, 
with fresh power. God's presence will stimulate a spiritual current. Joy will rise up within you. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Physical exercise is good, but spiritual training is infinitely better. You see, who wants to exist longer without really living? Don't just add years to your life. Jesus wants to add life to your years. It's so refreshing to watch an elderly saint who's growing older and younger at the same time. Their body may be aging, but their perspective stays youthful and optimistic. There is truly only one fountain of youth, and that's fellowship with God. Well, the second reason that Paul doesn't lose heart is the contrast that he sees between the afflictions of this world and the glories of heaven. Did you know that heaven's blessings are so heavy that they make earth's troubles seem trite? Paul refers to the messes of these life, the poopy experiences, as our light affliction. Have you noticed that we live in a day when light is in vogue? L-I-T-E. Everything's light these days. There's light mayonnaise and light ketchup and light salad dressing and light hot dogs and even light ice cream. Can you imagine? Low calories, no cholesterol is the ticket. You see, we've learned today how to process foods in a way that minimize the threat of heart disease. Well, Paul had also learned this secret. He could process harsh and brutal trials in such a way that enabled him to see his troubles as he calls them, light afflictions. He could filter out disappointments. He could reduce the spiritual cholesterol called discouragement. Paul's diet no longer included the stuff that causes spiritual heart disease, the hardening of the soul. Paul had learned the secret that enabled him to stay buzzed even when others would have been bummed. And recall Paul's afflictions, illnesses and shipwrecks and imprisonments and tortures and beatings and emotional rejection. Hey, if Paul could call these afflictions light, then surely the afflictions we experience are much lighter. What was the secret to Paul's perspective? It consisted of two truths. One, Paul learned that earth's afflictions are, quote, but for a moment. In light of eternity, 80, 90 years even, is really just a split second. And then two, Paul learned that our present suffering is working for us an elaborate and an eternal reward. Now, now notice Paul calls his trials a momentary affliction. And yet, understand, he suffered for a better part of 30 years. How can 30 years of pain be but for a moment? You know, we've all seen those camera shots of the astronauts in zero gravity, you know, floating in the space shuttle. It looks sort of fun. In watching them, we learn that what's heavy on Earth, when taken outside of our atmosphere, suddenly becomes light. Light as a feather. You see, in the heavens, heavy objects become light. 
And this is what Paul did with his heavy afflictions. He tells us in Ephesians that spiritually we've been made seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul did whenever he started to feel weighted down by the trials and difficulties of this life. He just sat down with Jesus. He moved outside of this realm to heavenly places, to spiritual places in Christ Jesus. When Paul viewed a problem from the scope of eternity, what seemed heavy beyond belief, what was about to bury him, suddenly became nothing, trivial, light as a feather. See a trial or a difficulty up against eternity, and even a whole lifetime of hurt and suffering is just a nanosecond, but for a moment. Christian apologist C.S. Lewis, he, he once described the whole sordid story of human history as a mere false start. Think of the marathon runners. They're on the starting line. 26 miles lay in front of them. But just before the gun sounds, one of the runners, he jumps early. No big deal. At the conclusion of the race, the man's eagerness will be a vague, distant memory, long forgotten. Now think of the whole history of humanity as a false start in light of the long, lengthy eternity that lies before us. You see, in light of forever, 6,000 years of sin and suffering is just a few folks jumping off too soon. It's a mistake. It's a bother, maybe. But after a million years of glory, it will be a distant memory. You see, it's our eternal hope that makes the miseries of this world bearable. A man was once reading his Bible when he asked God, Lord, is it true that to you a thousand years is as one second? God said, yes, it's true. Well then, God, is it true that to you one million dollars is the same as a single penny? God said, oh yes, it's true. The man replied, well, do you think I can have a penny? And God said, sure, no problem. Just a second. You see, this world's heavy afflictions become light when we realize that from the perspective of eternity, even a lifetime of sorrow is just for a moment. You see, Paul's troubles were momentary, but they also, quote, worked for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, we think of our troubles as intense, profound, severe experiences, but did you know the real heavy is heaven? Life's most profound experiences are not earthly afflictions, but heavenly glories. The happiness of heaven will be far heavier than the sorrows here on earth. You see, after you see the Cascade Mountains of the Pacific Northwest, or the Colorado Rockies, it always tickles me to hear someone talk about the North Georgia Mountains. You know, if you're a Westerner, you know, and you saw what we call mountains... You'd snicker. Compared to the Rockies, Georgia's mountains are mere foothills. Likewise, your problems might seem massive to you. In your mind, nothing could be more intense than the situation in which you're struggling. Yet if you could just get a glimpse of the treasures and the pleasures of heaven, if you could just sip just a small taste of the joy that one day you'll guzzle, once you realize the intensity of the delight that awaits you, suddenly the trials on this earth that you're calling mountains, 
you'll realize aren't mountains after all. The wonders of heaven will make the trials of this earth seem like anthills. In his science fiction adventure, Pelalandra, author C.S. Lewis, he wondered what it would be like to taste fruit in a perfect, unfallen world. In the story, he has an earthling transported to a planet unsoiled by sin, an unfallen planet. And there, this man, he finds a cluster of unfallen fruit, perfect fruit. And I love how Lewis describes his reaction to its taste. He says, he had come to a part of the wood where great globes of yellow fruit hung from the trees. He picked one of them and he turned it over and over. By accident, his finger punctured it and it went through into coldness. After a moment's hesitation, he put the little slit up to his lips. He had to extract the smallest experimental sip, but the first taste put his caution to flight. It was so different from every other taste like the discovery of a totally new genus of pleasure, unheard of among men. It dawned on him that for one drink of this on earth, wars would be fought and nations betrayed. You know, I believe that heaven's simplest pleasures will produce ecstasies unheard of on earth. We'll need our glorified bodies just to handle the heavenly highs. Heaven is going to be so sweet that just a single second there will more than make up for a lifetime of suffering here on this earth. Hold on, my friend. No matter what you've suffered in this life, your first moment in heaven will wipe away all the pain. You know, people sometimes ask, if God is so good, why does He allow so much suffering and pain in the world? Couldn't He stop it if He wanted? And certainly He could. But unlike our priorities, God's concerns stretch far beyond tomorrow. God is interested in our welfare and enjoyment for all eternity. Rather than simply pad our tomorrows with comfort, He wants to maximize our eternal experience. You see, heaven is forever. And God wants that forever experience to provide optimum enjoyment and maximum blessing. You see, the problem with us humans is that we lack appreciation for what's good and pleasant and best until we first taste its opposite. I've heard it put this way. The only way to truly love something is to first be without it. Human nature takes for granted even the richest blessings until suddenly they're gone or they're out of our reach. We appreciate what we now miss. I've actually actually heard this. I've actually heard people from Hawaii gripe about living in Hawaii. Can you imagine? I suppose it's really tough living in a tropical paradise all year round. That's real tough. But you see, here's the human reality. Native Hawaiians won't appreciate what they've got until they spend a hot, muggy summer in South Georgia below the Nat line. Or a sub-zero winter in a frozen, cold Wisconsin. All of a sudden, Hawaii, man, you appreciate it then. Some of you complain about the Atlanta Braves. Shame on you. You gripe because we only won one World Series. Hey, I'm a native Atlantan. I've been a Braves fan all my life. And I can remember when the Braves never played a meaningful game after August 1st. 
Hey, as long as we're competitive, you'll never hear me complain about the Braves. My point is that we're so fickle. Humans don't appreciate anything until they first live without it. And given this penchant, wouldn't it be horrible if God just set us down right from the beginning in a perfect utopia? Give us just a few weeks and we'd be complaining about paradise. Understand, if you have nothing to compare it to, even perfection loses its luster. And once you're dissatisfied with perfect, where do you go? Let me suggest God knows what he's doing. By allowing you and me what amounts to just a few seconds in a fallen world, but for a moment, he's enhancing and securing for all eternity our enjoyment of heaven. That's wisdom. God sweetens the sweet by priming us with a taste for the sour. Well, Paul refuses to lose heart because he contrasts the outer man that's perishing with this inward man that's being renewed. And by contrasting his momentary sufferings with the weight of his eternal reward, but there's a third contrast that causes him to take heart. He contrasts the things that are visible with the things that are invisible. In other words, Paul sees beyond what can be seen. Let me warn you of a mistake we all make. We assume that this tangible world that we live in is the real world. Not so. This world is merely a shadow. It's a dollhouse full of toy types which are dim reflections of the real thing. The real McCoys lie just beyond the veil. Earth's joys are really just a deluded version of heaven's highs. Earth's sin-inflicted pain is a feeble forewarning of the punishments of hell. You see, this life is just practice. Eternity is what counts. Today is daytime TV. Eternity is prime time. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, if we would only see the visible world the way God wants us to see it, we would never be attracted by what it offers. Get your eyes on the invisible and you'll see through the facade of this world. Hebrews 11 verse 26 tells us how Moses refused the temptations of Egypt. We're told he esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, eyes of faith are able to see the invisible. When you see through this world's illusions... Partaking of its pleasures are like nibbling on a wax apple. They're fake and they're phony and they're spiritually tasteless. Did you know your taste buds were made for deeper enjoyment? One author writes, our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we are far too easily pleased. You see, material stuff can never satisfy a spiritual need. That's why we call it stuff, by the way. Because it only stuffs us. It doesn't satisfy us. We're left empty and hungry. Remember that the tangible world around us is only an illustration. It's a visual aid to help us grasp the realities of an invisible spiritual realm. 
A mother's love speaks to us of God's tenderness. A father's guidance, steady guidance, speaks to us of God's tireless concern. A child's trust, Jesus said, was a lesson in saving faith. The romance between a husband and a wife is an introduction to the potentials of the intimacy that exists between Christ and his church. A raging river or a brisk breeze whets our appetite for the Holy Spirit. A rainbow reminds us of God's faithfulness. A sunrise speaks of his mercies. They're new every morning. A lightning bolt alerts us to his soon return. A sunset warns us of his coming judgment. When we fail to see behind the symbols, when we fail to see the substance behind those symbols, we we miss out on the whole point of the lesson. We miss out on the real meaning of life. See, Paul tells us not to look to the things which are seen. Don't look there. The Greek word translated look is scopus, from which we get our English word scope. When we talk about the scope of a rifle, and we we say, you need to scope that out. Paul is saying to us, we, we need to scope out this invisible world. We need to fix our attention on the things that are not seen. We need to mind the spiritual realities like mercy and fellowship and faithfulness and integrity. The spiritual issues of life should be more to us than just hobbies or passing fancies. Something we play with and then leave for a while and then come back to when we're bored or when we have the time. No, we need to zero in on these realities. We need to scope out those things that are not seen. We need to live our lives fixed on these spiritual truths. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And even in the real life circumstances that preoccupy us and demand our daily attention, we need to always be on the lookout for the hand of God. For you never know when the hand of God might choose to intervene in your circumstances. To bless you. To teach you. To use you. To redirect you. The reason Paul took heart rather than lose heart was that he had the ability to see beyond the visible to the invisible. He saw through the scenery to the hand behind the scenes. He sees clearly only, we see clearly only when we see through eyes of faith. Hey, always remember, we've been given a promise. And God is faithful to fulfill that promise The best is yet to come, but in the meantime, in this in-between time, don't get discouraged by the poop. As I said, it takes the manure for us to mature. And let me warn you, get caught up in the outward, the cosmetic, the here and now, the visible and tangible, and you will lose heart, no doubt. You'll get discouraged. But if you'll see life from an inward, eternal, spiritual perspective, you'll grow stronger. God is faithful to empower and encourage us if we maintain the right attitude, the right perspective. It's called faith. In the days to come, let's take heart, not lose heart. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray, Lord, that we could take these truths, these contrasts that we see, and that we could apply them to our lives and to our hearts. Lord, as we spend a few minutes now in worship, 
as we open up our hearts to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to feel these contrasts. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the inner man. We may have come in with aches and pains and headaches and whatever, but Lord, strengthen the inner man as we worship you now. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to taste the glory that awaits us, that can make even the heaviest trials seem light, momentary. And that you'll help us, Lord, to see beyond the things that can be seen to the real issues of life, the spiritual issues, the things that can't be seen but exist. Help us, Lord, to see the spiritual issues of life. Lord, I pray that you'll work in our hearts both now and in the coming week, Lord, to strengthen our faith, to help us be people, Lord, with the right perspective. Help us, Lord, to take heart, never lose heart. We ask that you encourage us this day, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.